0: is episode five uh, i'm five episodes in and i hope that uh that maybe i've picked up a few listeners along the way uh, if you do listen to the podcast then please just uh reach out let me know that um you know leave a comment uh in the uh on the on the blog or share the the podcast on social media if you if you find it interesting i'd be really grateful if you could um do that for me so on this uh, episode, I talked to Andy Hobson, and Andy is a, um, uh, a meditation and mindfulness teacher. And uh, Andy's had a really interesting journey from professional drummer uh, and rock star to professional rock star mindfulness teacher. He's actually one of the uh, leading meditation and mindfulness teachers on an app called Insight Timer. Uh, He has over 77,000 followers, uh, nearly as many people as he once played to um, uh, in a stadium. And we talk about his journey um, from professional drumming uh, to uh, learning about Buddhism, uh, learning about mindfulness and meditation to helping children, learn mindfulness and teach mindfulness and meditation to to children as well i really enjoyed this conversation with andy um we really talk about some interesting subjects around mindfulness we look at some of the myths around mindfulness what what it can do and what it can't do for you um and uh he shared some tips uh, around Uh, how to mindfully connect with toddlers uh, as well and children which I thought was really really interesting and something which I uh, think is powerful for anybody out there even if you're not a parent um, to, to learn how to connect with with children and so with that being said without further ado I'll hand you over to Andy thank you very much for listening to the podcast and I hope to um see you soon. See you soon doesn't really sound right. does it for a podcast. I I hope that uh, you find the the episode interesting. Uh, Until the next episode, thank you for listening. Okay. So um, today I'm talking to Andy Hobson um, and Andy is a meditation teacher um, and is somebody that I've come across um, on an application called Insight Timer, which I think is one of the the best kind of meditation um, applications out there because it's not run by uh, artificial intelligence. Um, It's more human people (laughs) that are are talking to human people, which I I like about it. Um, So I thought I'd uh, I'd invite Andy on the show today to talk uh, about meditation, mindfulness, uh, spiritual journeys as well, because that's something um, that you talk about a lot in your uh, profile on your website. So I'll just give you the chance to introduce yourself, Andy, and and tell us a little bit about your story about um, getting to this point of being on the podcast with me
1: oh wow okay <laughs> where do i begin yeah uh so my story well we, we all have a, a story and, and i hope my story kind of uh uh has some meaning to it to people as well um and i hope that um yeah i hope, I hope it kind of makes other people uh, understand you know we all have different paths and things as well and we can all uh you know the thing i put forward is that anyone can meditate anyone can learn mindfulness um there isn't a kind of spiritual person with a spiritual journey. It's just, we have a life and we make decisions within that life. And uh, often they tend to lead uh, to to things we don't quite understand because uh, after a while life, um, the material world can be a little bit difficult to work with. And there's there's another way to look at it. Um, Anyway, so my story, do you want me to start from the kind of how I got into meditation and mindfulness and I don't know. Start from wherever you want to start. Okay. Um, all right. I'll, I'll start from the right, from the beginning. So um, well, I always, always remember um, at school, uh, when, I was, when I was kind of secondary school, I always t- have this question that, how do I know I am me? I always used to just think in my head, how do I, know, how do I used to say it to my friends as a kind of joke. It wasn't a big thing. How do you know that you are you? How do you know that you're not me? And it, it just to me, just now and again, it used to pop into my head. Um, and I guess I've always kind of, kind of just wondered who are we what are we doing you know why are we here and and I've kind of seen everything from a kind of more from a philosophical kind of standpoint you know mm-hmm. especially with school you know I kind of I challenge school quite a lot and I uh, challenged teachers not not in a, in a nasty way but in a kind of you know why are we why are we going to learn this today um and then um and then you know that didn't really kind of change anything for me It was just a, a question uh, and then my my dream really was um I love music music's my passion and um, I played the drums from age 10 and I want to be in a rock and roll band basically that's all I wanted to do I wanted to be a rock star and I just held that dream and you know I kind of followed school and I ended up going to university and I I studied music and I did art, the arts as well mm-hmm. and um Then I decided to come take it a bit more seriously, and I went to a drumming school in London, and uh, it was just a a house full of drummers all learning together. And it was was that time where um, one of the guys in the house uh, lent me a book of meditation, just said, "Oh, it's really good for focusing, for staying," Um, because we were, you know, we were practicing for kind of six hours a day. It's very (laughs) geeky, Uh, and I just read this. I thought, "This is this is really interesting," Um, you know, especially with um, we had to do a lot of. kind of assessed performances and things like that, which is a strange thing to think about really looking back uh, and, you know, you get nerves for that kind of stuff. And I just thought, how can I, I play really well in practice, but I don't really play that great, you know, when I'm under pressure or I f- think I'm being assessed. So the meditation aspect of of being kind of present, being noticing just what you're playing, that really helped. Uh, and again, I put that to the side for a few more years, pursued my dream. Uh, and then I got very lucky and I got into a, a sign band Uh, We signed to a a kind of a UK record label and we got to um, do all the great stuff you get to do, tour around the world on a bus, play big venues. You know, we got to play places like Wembley Arena and uh, like tour Japan and Australia and all sorts. So I kind of got my dream quite early. I was to age 23 Mm -hmm. and it was just, uh, it was, it was amazing. I kind of, for, for at least six or seven months, I'd say, you know, I thought, oh, this is it. This is life. It's, it's, it's here. And, you know, doing what I loved. Uh, and then it started to turn a little bit, um, a little bit sour as it often does with the music industry. And, you know, we stopped getting on as well. And, you know, the kind of the shiny surface of the whole world kind of started to, to not look quite as shiny, you know, the music industry, I was a bit disheartened about how it all ran. Um, and and it, then it kind of, then it stepped into, it seeped into our, our creativity as well and that's when i really started to go oh hang on a minute you know don't touch the music you can do all the stuff around it um and the bass player in the band uh, we were both really into philosophy (laughs) and we um everyone used to go out and go drinking and you know staying out late and we used to go home and uh go back to a hotel and either uh talk a bit of philosophy or watch blue planet with david (laughs) atterbury (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> <I realize that. laughs> it was ridiculous i mean you know we embraced a bit of it but um we like to chat and we you know we kind of we saw we saw through it we kind of saw through it with we, we know where this is all going mm-hmm. uh, and i just loved getting up a bit early and waking up somewhere new and going for a walk in the morning um and so it got, i really got into that and then i i was really dissatisfied i was getting really kind of stressed out about the whole situation particularly as we stopped touring and i had an Uh, a whole year really uh, of not doing too much just rehearsing now and again writing songs and a lot of thinking time Um, and in that time I feel I felt like I needed to go somewhere else I needed to that kind of that seeking thing within me went right you know you've got this opportunity now to really discover something so I attached myself to a a local Buddhist center Mm. and I kind of went to a local the meditation group there and then I kind of I did some courses with them. I actually learned about Buddhism and the course I did was called the heart of wisdom, which is the kind of key teaching on emptiness. Mm. Uh, so it was, a, it was quite a kind of rocky, but it's a kind of a kind of tough start or was it, it, was jumping off the edge of the cliff kind of start. Uh, Cause it's pretty deep stuff. Uh, I really liked it. I didn't get, so get on with the religious aspect of it. Uh, but I really just, I just felt that this is offering something that kind of fits more with what I'm questioning in life. You know, why we, doing what we're doing, why are we suffering um, you know why with all my best efforts do things end up not being as as rosy at the end mm-hmm. and so I followed this for for a long time and I actually um we went touring again, and they used to send me cassette tapes of their their teachings and things uh, of the the course I was doing and i'd listen and then I'd have a bit of homework to do so it was a strange strange time, but I really enjoyed it the fact that I had you know the music and that that was going on but i had this kind of little secret i didn't talk about it much this kind of little secret world where i was kind of delving into like the meaning of a life and you know what, what is the the meaning of phenomena what what is the stuff around us who are we mm-hmm. um and then and then the, the band folded and i kind of moved back to london and then i went back to suffering a bit more i thought no stuff you know the, the Buddhist stuff wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I did lots of different jobs, lots of office jobs, admin jobs, meter reading, worked for a bike shop, did I did pretty I've had I've had about 30 or 30 odd jobs. Um you know everything. I've done some crazy weird stuff. Um and I got into the charity sector eventually and did got into fundraising but along the way I you know did I've done everything. Mm-hmm. Um and Around that point, I started, I started to suffer from depression um, because I, you know, the jump from this world of, of the music world and the kind of the freedom that you have with it, although it was quite stressful, uh, it, it made me realize, oh, well, hang on a minute, this, this is, now you're, you're just going to do this every day. And I really couldn't handle that because I wanted to be creating, I wanted to be making things, I wanted, uh, it didn't fit with me, but I needed to pay, you have to pay bills. Yeah um and so i really went straight back into you know as soon as this stuff happens the first thing you do is right i need to find out what's going on so i i got back into meditation but this time I, I discovered mindfulness and um the the way it was taught it was the the mbsr john Kabat-Zinn kind of style mindfulness and i really liked the structured way it actually kind of met with the, the stuff i'd been reading um because I, I felt you know i've read a lot of self-help books as well as you do along yeah. the way you know, eckhart tolle eckhart tolle is wonderful amazing amazing stuff but sometimes it, you you want to live it but you don't know how you know you read it and you think oh this is great this is great and then you walk out your door and you're like but how do i do it yeah. how do i cultivate this this awareness this body presence um and so i um i really like mindfulness and i did a mindfulness course an eight-week course uh and i just thought wow this is fantastic this is this is real food for for our mind and it's um it's actually a a way that anyone can uh connect with themselves more get a bit deeper understanding of what's going on internally and actually have a slightly different relationship with life and and know how they meet life and how they work with you know all the stuff that happens Uh, and i immediately wanted to teach it i just thought i want to teach this i I need to teach this and i i'm going to (laughs) Mm -hmm. so i i did a retreat a training retreat uh, at bangor university Mm -hmm. uh, and it was a wonderful wonderful week i met some lovely people um and was a really immersive experience where you know um, a lot of it was in silence as well and you just kind of listened and it kinda of gave me it gave me the tools basically to um to be able to facilitate a mindfulness session and also inquire into people's experiences. Now, since that time I, I really I really love those courses and I think they're great, but I also believe that mindfulness is is whatever anyone wants to make it as well. Yeah. And I really don't think anyone should have any ownership over how it's taught or anything like that. I think the the per is to do with the person and the person having their own practice. I think that's the most important thing, and, and being able to teach from their own practice rather than you having to follow guidelines. So I've got, I've taken what I what I needed from that course, and um, then I taught mindfulness from what from what I find helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from then, so I, I kind of changed jobs. I was working in a managing a bicycle shop at that time, uh, and uh, doing some crazy stuff, and we were doing lots of exhibitions in like UK and a bit of Europe, and building bikes. I learned how to build bicycles, didn't know how to do it before. But, um, and then, then that kind of came to an end and I, at the time I was volunteering uh, with a charity, um, called kids company, which have sadly disbanded. Now, uh, I've been volunteering um doing some drumming in one of their centers. And, um, this was my kind of new passion as well. You know, working with kids, so I suddenly thought, you know, this is great. These, there's so much need in the world. What can be the most meaningful thing I can do? Um, and eventually, a couple of years of chatting with Kids Company and saying, you know, is there anything I could do within the organisation? Um, they they were really keen for me to do a role in a primary school, managing a service, a wellbeing service. Um, so, I um, I left that job. And I went and uh, and I went, suddenly one day. I was in a bicycle shop underneath a, a cold railway arch. The next minute, I'm in a a room setting up a therapy service painting a big tree on a wall and getting it all ready for uh, for that so um and that was, a, that was a, i did that for six years um through that and another charity um and i started to integrate mindfulness into that teaching that to the children mm-hmm. um i mean i was working you know i was very much supported by um psychotherapists and we had a big team around us which was amazing um, and I also did a lot of training during the, for the first three years um, around child mental health, which i still continue. Very important. Um, but we were working with, with children with, with the hardest, most difficult lives and um, not even in a, you know, in a, in a state school uh, in a really nice area in London. Uh, and I was just, I just couldn't believe the the scale of it. You know, we had about 30 children in therapy um children on waiting lists and families you know uh you know on the brink of poverty or in poverty um and i really got a feel for what was happening in, in this country you know um you don't see it you just you know and, and i'm not working in schools in that way now and you, and you suddenly it's it's not in your in your awareness so it, it almost it doesn't exist but it's so it's really there and it's in every school and it's in every family um and, and, and too many families as well um so anyway, I go to the side. So, um, so I started teaching mindfulness to, to the kids. I mean, I was given a lot of the kids that really had really strong, high needs, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of neglect, a lot of domestic violence, very sadly, uh, a lot of family members, older members involved in gangs. And, you know, there's all sorts of, of uh, things around that. Uh, and these kids were really scared. There's a lot of fear for good reason. I mean, some of them had 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 their houses broken into in the night. And, you know, these are, seven, eight-year-old kids, younger as well. Um, so I thought, what can I do? How can we work with this with mindfulness without making it a prescriptive thing? You know, kids have to learn mindfulness. I, I really wanted to learn from what would help them. So I, I kind of started to create a little course that they could do for kind of five or six weeks, either in little groups or just, just one-on-one. Uh, and it really worked around um, connecting with their bodies, understanding fear, understanding being okay with it. Um, and imagery i did a lot of things around imagery around drawing and art and the ways to bring what was you know in art therapy i don't know if you if you know much about it but a lot of it is about um using imagery and and taking something and bringing it outside so you can actually see what's going on which is very much what mindfulness is about in terms of stepping back and having a having a look at what's what's there from a little bit of a distance with a bit of space so I was kind of integrating the arts and mindfulness together so we could work with it and go, Oh wow, that's, that's scary. that's pretty scary. What's going on there. Tell me about it. Okay. And does that show up in your body anywhere too? Oh, right. Wow. Uh, And then we did techniques and we we learned some breathing and we did, it was lots of games and silliness, you know, the sitting down meditation part was actually a smaller part of it. We didn't do too much of that because a lot of the kids, they just found that really difficult to close their eyes. But, um, I, um, yeah, and we'll and run around you. Know, you yeah, try exactly. be running around the room. Okay, that's not working. Let's go pretend to be seaweed or something instead. Yeah. Uh, and I absolutely love that role. Uh, it's very demanding. And um, in the meantime, I really am telling you my whole story here. No, no, keep going. It's
0: fascinating. Awesome.
1: Uh, in the meantime, um, so I, um, I started, I did a, a kid's... Uh, mindfulness training course with Mindfulness Schools Project. And again, really great course. And I just took what I needed from that as well. Um, you know, I wanted to, something to be accessible for every child. Uh, and, lo- and there's some great children's mindfulness courses out there, but um, they're, sometimes they're written too much by adults and they, they're kind of still a little, little too uh, academic or uh, a bit com- complicated. So I wanted to make something really stripped down uh and simple. So I started working on this little course for children that's like an audio course. And that was a few years ago. And only recently I've started to be able to actually put that together, which I'm I'm finishing at the moment. But um where was I going with this? I've lost my I've lost my thread. <laughs> so um yeah so I um from that course I um I started to do some recordings and I started off doing adult recordings mm-hmm. and I just sort right. I've got the mindfulness stuff, you know, the, the, the breath, the body. Yeah. Uh, I really didn't want to record a track for that. Just for my own courses. Um, I started teaching some MBSR courses just a little bit. Uh, and I did it with parents as well in the school, which is really good, but on a very, very, uh, in a simple way. Um, and so I recorded some meditations and I put them on Insight Timer, which was um, at the time a really very basic app. It was run by someone else. a uh, really lovely guy. And used to email them and say, "Oh, I've uploaded a track. Can you put it out?" And a few weeks later, oh yeah. Uh, and and, and he won't mind me saying this, but it looked like it would kind of been created in 1991. You know, it was yeah. it was it was, a, it was a brilliant app, and I think there were about 80 teachers on there and about 200 meditations or something. And it was, it just there was a nice community feel as well. There's a little forum. Mm-hmm. And I thought this is great. So I put put some tracks on, um, and I thought I really enjoyed. Being in London, I always used to find the background noise kind of challenging. And I always used to wish for music, but music that wasn't kind of too, how do I say it, too cheesy and too intrusive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I thought, well, I love making music you know, and let's see if I can just create something that kind of fits with how I, how I feel about this meditation. Um, and I did, um, John Kabat-Zinn's got a, a mountain meditation that lots of people do versions of. Uh, so I did my inversion of that and put some music on it, and it and it went down really well on the app. People really connected with it. Uh, the idea of the fact we can stay grounded and still and stable, even when our lives are constantly changing, emotions and, and all the, all this, uh, all this kind of stuff that happens to us every day. Um, and then I put some more tracks out, and I started creating them and really get kind of enjoying the the, the experience of going. What 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 else did I find really helpful? Um, and, you know, accepting and letting go of things was really powerful for me. So I thought, right, something around that. Um, and then I got, I got became really popular on the app and people, you know, really, really connected with it. And um, the app got taken over by um, Christopher Plowman, who's a really lovely, lovely guy. Uh, and he he partnered up with um, someone called Maddy as well, who's uh, uh, one of the publishers. She, she basically arranges all the publishing, pretty much does kind of a lot of stuff. Uh, and we really kind of got to know each other a little bit, you know, they said, because um, I took some meditations off actually, I said, oh, you know, people are listening to this for free and I'm really trying to start to make a bit of a living out of this as well. And they said, no, no, please leave them on, you know, we're, we're planning, we want to find a way to, to monetize it somehow, but also make it, you know, still accessible for everyone in the community and, uh, and they worked so hard on that as well. I mean, they said, "Oh, we'll do it next year," and then five years later, they're kind of nearly there. And yeah, they're, no, they're I got apologize-
0: kind of, um, money from it the other day myself. So. <laughs> oh,
1: well done! Yeah, it's brilliant. They've, taken, they've, they've done it right. They, they yeah. the whole way through, they consulted the community. You know, the app isn't just an app. Here you go, you're getting this, now you're getting that. Now we're getting ads. Now we're not. It's it's never had ads on it, and um, I just can't speak highly enough. I could talk about that forever, but yeah. it's just genuine, lovely people behind it. That you you just don't always find in in this world as well. In you know, in meditation world, it's, it's obviously it's a billion dollar industry now. So uh, within that, there's a lot a lot of going, a lot yeah. of jostling around going on. Yeah. Not always always fair either. Yeah. No.
0: Uh, I, I, well not to interrupt
1: you. If you want, to... no, go, go, please.
0: Well, I'm just talking about the app. Is and there's a lot to unpack in that story as well so i'm sure we can go back and chat about some of those things mm-hmm. uh, i think everybody wants to know what it's like to be a rock star so <laughs> me too um <laughs> but uh no just on that app i, I mean myself uh, i think there's only like 375 people on there so let's just big up this app for a little while as well to get some more people on there as teachers uh, also as as listeners as well um, and i think the beauty of it is is that that um I've always, I've, I started doing, I've done a, an MBSR kind of training course as well. And I'm only in that like few years of, of starting to teach. Um, and I've done a couple of meditations on there and I, I left it for a while and I didn't even realize And I went back and then saw these comments about everybody saying, you know, it's got like thousands of plays. I was like, wow, what, how did this happen? And then there's like people like putting loads of comments against So It's really good. And, um, and, uh, and I, And I was always worried about, oh, I can't do it in a, I need a recording studio to do it, but you don't. And I've been, I found a nice quiet space and I've got a little kind of sound thing in fact, yeah, I'll I'll just turn this so the viewers can see as well. That's that's how I, oops, (laughs) there's my, uh, Kind of uh, mic and sound thing as well just to give it a little bit of sound dead it you know dead in it a little bit and learned a couple of tutorials on on youtube about um with audible just to work out getting rid of some background noise but also i believe that you know you should be able to meditate anywhere but sometimes the background noise is part of it as well is, is allowing background noise to be there it can't be just this pure silence that you know that, that you have to have some noise in there because that's part of of meditating because you can't go and find a completely sound deadened room
1: to do it because yeah i was gonna say i taught in a course once and um a guy came up to at the end and he said um i I think i'm gonna soundproof my house my my, uh, room He was very serious he said i've i'm gonna it's a lot of money isn't it to do that and i I said no 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 you've not been listening to me (laughs) he's he's dead set he's like i've decided it's too it's too much noise my meditation is gonna it's gonna work and I was, I was really surprised, but um, I talked him out of it, thankfully. Yeah,
0: no, so, so now, um, and there's this little voice inside of me that, you know, that internal voice you get when meditating a lot where just, you know, this that voice that is coming from that place that that is not your 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 small mind, it's your big mind. It's the, it's the thing that's guiding you. And it keeps telling me, look, put some more meditations on inside time. I keep saying, like, yeah, no, I need to start doing it. More meditations. And I always used to worry about, you know, what, Oh, I need to do my own, but you can take somebody else's meditation and just put your spin on it. There's no, there's no copyright around it. You know, you can take the mountain meditation and say, okay, well, I will do my version of it. I'll do my version of leaves on the stream, or I will do my version of open awareness. And you know, and, it's, and people will come to you because they want your style and your voice and how you do it. You know, because people like you and some people like me, and and that's the beauty of it. But there's never any but I notice on the, on the comments, it's always nice comments. It's always lovely comments that, you know, and if people do have some feedback for you, it's always nice feedback. There's no kind of like, this is terrible. It's like, oh, well, maybe you could try thinking about this. Or I didn't like this part of it, but there's never anything that's nasty, is there? It's like the a <laughs> nice little um, community that's out there. Well, I haven't <laughs> come across anything that's been particularly kind of bad. I think it might be just be meditators. They're just <laughs> kind <of> compassionate people. <laughs>
1: It's, it's a bubble, actually. I was thinking about that, you know, things like Twitter and all the you know, all the social media, there's always, you know, so much negativity on those things. And uh, inside Timer, you know, you've still got a huge range of people listening, um, but you just never get bad comments ever, like nasty, you know, there's nothing, there's no, no one has any reason to do that. Um, and that's lovely. It's, it's a lovely bubble to be in, you go into it, you know, it's a nice, and I always think, you know, people have just done a meditation, you know, probably the in the kind of Kind of purest of mind, or, or maybe not. Of course, we all finish meditations thinking oh, that didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> so again, you know, yeah. might even worse. But you know, people they're in a slightly different state. You know, they they've let themselves be still and to whatever extent. So they and those those comments they write are, are from that kind of place of of you know real kindness mm. you know, that comes out. Which is the beauty of meditation, mindfulness, isn't it? <clears throat> Sorry, it allows you to get to that space.
0: But you know, sometimes. I have meditations um, where you do get to that really nice, peaceful space and um, you think, I want to get back there again. Yeah. <laughs> and you come out of it. But it's also realizing that that space is accessible to you all the time. That, that it's just you don't have to come to – it's not something you have to come to in a in a formal meditation. This comes back to mindfulness can be anything you want to and it, and it can be something that you can just access. Once you've learned how to access it, it's available to you whenever. And that's what I say to my clients as well in coaching. When we're meditating and and coaching, is that you, know, you don't even have to meditate to access that space. It's available to you already. This this nice peaceful empty, emptiness space that you shouldn't be afraid of. That you can go sit in it, and it's and it's um, it's a place of refuge for you inside of yourself.
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean. Um... I kind of, I became a dad a couple of years ago and uh, your meditation practice changes a lot. Then you have less time. Yeah, And within that, you know, oh, you know how am I going to do this? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm too tired to meditate or just don't have time. Uh, and then I, you know, I, I kind of went back into student mode. Well, I'm always in student mode. I'm always finding another book. Uh, and I, you know, I was reading a lot of books and a lot of practices were just not, didn't mention meditation. They just talked about, uh, you know, how you how you how you speak to life and how you um how you are in the in the kind of daytime and nighttime uh without being in this meditation meditative state um and so a, a recent practice fairly recent anyway is i've really i've practiced um kind of being open open to life and then some people say opening your heart some people for some people heart doesn't really doesn't mean anything to them you know I, i'm always cautious using the word heart but i, I do think it 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 does lead somewhere for for a lot of people. So opening and uh, noticing how much energy you use closing off. I like this. I don't like that. I like this. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. So a a practice of mine is, is um, noticing when I'm, when I'm against the present moment, you know, talking to you now, Mm -hmm. Is there any part of me that's against being here, talking to you now. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what I do, I relax my shoulders and I just relax and just go, and that's it. And it's really simple, but it's really effective. It's just like, let go of that. Even if it's a slight feeling of, oh, I need to get on to the next thing, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, do I need to say you know, do I need to say something else? That kind of feeling of not enough. Um, that's my practice it's a, it's, and it's been so um it's been actually really, really changed a lot of things because firstly I'm more um I have that intention as well that I'm going to just notice how I am, how I'm relating to moments, particularly the difficult moments when I'm trying to Get my toddler into a car and he's, he's not doing that, you know, okay, that's okay. That's release, and it really changes your experience. I, 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 I teach it, you know, all the comments I write, um, on insight timer at the moment, particularly the course I've got on there on depression. Mm-hmm. I, I speak a lot about that, about just, you know, okay, meditation can be challenging sometimes. Why did, do, why don't you just try just check in how am I relating to now? Okay. Can I relax this, this amount release? Um, because I've noticed when you meditate the times when you do have those moments of complete calm and it just feels like you're, it's, it's a strange thing to say, but you and the outside world are a bit kind of one, you know, you, yeah. there's this harmony, you, you're looking, you're seeing, you're taking it all in and there's no, there's no judgment. Um, that's when you're relaxed as well. Um, and I always say that there's, there's no, you know, you don't have to relax. You know, that's not the point of meditation and you can feel tense and that's absolutely fine. But, um, it's, it's, worth, it's good to have in mind that relaxation is, is kind of letting go to life and just go. okay, I'm with it. Even if tension's still there, it's just ha- having that kind of allowing uh, approach just to relaxing.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I completely 100% agree with that. I think um, the, I started practicing that more as a kind of an everyday thing when I read um, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Have you read that book?
1: Ah, yes, yeah,
0: it's great. It's a, book, isn't it? it's a really yeah. good book. He was talking about just being open all the time, and it was just something that I started practicing of just like, okay, I'm just going to be open. Um, and, and I, I know what you say about opening your heart, but it's just for me, it's about opening my awareness and, and allowing my awareness to be as wide as possible. Um, and if I'm and I practice it more when I'm walking outside, so if I'm walking outside, I just I go to a space where everything is completely open. And I'm just allowing everything to come to me instead of reaching out and grabbing it. And so sound sides, really wide vision. I notice if you have a really wide vision that that's something that really calms you down as well. Just, you know, instead of having a laser beam uh, focused on something, I I try to practice that more. And there's, you know, obviously there's times where you just, you know, you don't and (laughs) thought or you're, you know, I think there's also this misconception that, that if you meditate all the time that you're going to suddenly become this Zen-like perfect person that's never going to get angry, that's never going to get frustrated, that's never going to feel irritable, that's never going to get lost in thought. Um, it's just not true that's, that you're going to have days where, you're, where you wake up or you're going to have a couple of days where you're, your emotional state's down. But more and more you practice this, the more you realize that it's, it's just an emotional state and not to see it any more than that, oh, I just feel down. And it could be just because you haven't eaten right in the past couple of days or you've had an hour's left sleep or there's a thought that's created something that you don't know and you then start creating a story around it. So for me now, it's more about, okay, I'm just going to allow that experience to be there. And I like that, not resisting the experience because if I resist it and I struggle with it, then it just gets bigger. Whereas if I just say, okay, well, it's here, I feel like this at the moment, just allow it to be. And I used to be somebody that used a lot of um, uh, drugs like marijuana. That was my kind of go-to anti-anxiety drug um, because I get massive hangovers. So <laughs> alcohol never really did it for me. Um, but weed was, was one of those things that I used to go to all the time to resolve the anxiety. Um, and uh, I'm a pretty anxious person. I, can, I know that about myself. I, I get a lot, I can feel it inside of myself. I get anxiety all the time because of my background um, and, and trauma when I was young. So I know that that's something that comes up and it really was meditation that allowed me to say okay well i don't have to fight with it i can just let it be there and i don't have to put any story around it either i can just notice that that's that's who i am i'm quite a sensitive person it's not something that i need to change about myself or avoid it because it will go and then in the next moment i'll have another experience so i can just experience that instead
1: that's a, that's such a powerful thing you just said you know that that uh you know when people have anxiety as well they 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 don't want it there. Of course, it's a, not a pleasant feeling. And there are so many judgments around having it, you know, especially if you, you start meditating and yeah, I've been doing meditation for two years now. I'm still that anxious person. Hang on a minute. I am supposed to be this, this person now, but I'm still, huh? I'm still that kind of, what, you know? Uh, and then, then, then you, you realize, Oh, I am that anxious person and that's all right. I'll be that anxious, you know, this, and it is because, you know, obviously we have d- lots of different childhoods and, uh there's an unbelievable amount of things that can happen to us in our childhood whether we have a seemingly good upbringing or bad you know it's where we are brought up in relationship to others mm-hmm. um and we carry that stuff around with us to whatever degree and, and it and it does it makes you know who we are you know we've got we've got personalities and um ways we approach life um and yeah i i, I guess i'd say i'm i'm an anxious person uh, as well because uh in, in certain situations, but I'm aware of it, you know, social situations, big social situations. Mm-hmm. I know, but it doesn't stop me going out and chatting to people and it's, you know, but it's, it's there. It's just, okay. Let's That's fine. You know, there's, there's no fact that I'm a meditation teacher or that I'm supposed to be this or that, that I shouldn't feel anxious. It's, you know, and that's, I think that's a really a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you were saying about working with emotions as well, you know, uh, how they arise. And I think I read, I read the other day that an emotion generally shows up for about 90 seconds or something. Yeah. And then we've, got, then we've got to do something with it. And most of the time we go, oh, emotion, I feel sad. Oh, this is awful. What a terrible day. Feeds your thoughts. You know, my life's terrible as well because I'm feeling sad today. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that Thich, Nack, uh, Thich Han talks about the second arrow. Mm-hmm. You know, there's what happens. And then uh, what we add to it, you know, the second, the first thing is the sadness and then the second arrow we bring to it is our reaction to it oh, i shouldn't feel sad that yeah. sadness isn't pleasant i'm a happy person you know why can i not feel as happy as the person over there yeah um, but yeah that's it's um, really powerful but you know i can't i can't talk about it enough that um, you're still going to have ups and downs from meditation and uh, i i never when i teach you know i'm, I'm i t- i teach from that place you know that that yes, meditation can help you be more level in, in life and, and mindfulness and, you know, re- reading lots of, you know, uh, philosophy or spiritual literature is, is an amazing way just to kind of, it's almost like take, taking a, a pill, like this little dose of, oh, that's the way I could see it. That's yeah. the way I could learn. And you internalize it, whether you think you've forgotten it. A lot of people say to me, I've you know, I've you read so many books now and I feel like I've just forgotten it all. But you, you internalize everything you read uh, in some way and it, and it comes out as well. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's true.
0: That's true. So, just, um, thinking about your work with children then, and mindfulness with children,
1: um, is it easier or harder? Than <laughs> <laughs> oh I don't know. It's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. It, you have to think a bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. will, you have to you have to be able to uh, change change what you're doing quite quickly. Uh, particularly when you're teaching groups. Sometimes you go. You know, I do a mindfulness in schools program that I've put together. And sometimes you go in on one class, really kind of go with it. They get it. Um, and they, everything you teach, they're like, they're, they're there. You know, it's, they're going, and sometimes you go into a class, same age group, and it's just not, it's not there. They're they're, they're, a bit, they're a bit wobbly or wiggly or, and mm-hmm. then you go, okay, but we won't do that yet. We'll we'll do this. We'll, uh, we'll do some movement. We'll do this or I'll explain something in a different way. Uh, so you have to, you have to kind of think on your feet a bit more sometimes. Um, but the, when you, if you work with a group over several weeks, then you know it's, it is easier because you're, you're you can kind of stay with the practices and see what comes out. Uh, it's when I do kind of one-off workshops and things. You kind of think, how can I kind of make, make the most meaningful uh, session for them? Um, but adults can be tricky as well. But yeah. um, <laughs> well, they, they have more preconceived
0: ideas as an adult, don't you? That, that's the yeah. Children are more obviously, you, you know, we go back to that place of creativity when we were a child that that we were these we were limitless potential before we got in our own way and uh, and i know i mean also there's children out there that have gone through really difficult things and difficult um uh, experiences but they're more naturally resilient than you are as an adult because by the time you get to an adult you've put a load of language around it and (laughs) beliefs around it whereas as a child you can probably move them through it a little bit quicker than you can as an adult i would
1: yeah, I think they're, um, I mean, they're generally more curious and open um, and um, it can be, I mean, fun's the element, everything everything has to be fun for me. I'm, you know, if it's fun, uh, we do lots of stories and even with the, the older kids, the year six kids, I get a puppet out, a dog puppet and... <laughs> I like that you might think you're too cool for this but I don't think you are. So we're doing it anyway. <laughs> and I do it. And I turn into a child entertainer for a minute. I'm like how do I end up doing this? But um it's lovely it's just lovely to see them the, the change uh and particularly um they they all they all have the same, you know, I I always talk about worries quite early on and they'll put their hands up for things like exam stress, homework, getting on with their chores, uh, you know, being good enough at sport, having enough friends it's all, and it's all big stuff in their world that, you know, they haven't got loads of stuff going on. So these things are huge, especially, yeah. you know, getting your homework done and, and the worry of not getting it right the next day. And, uh, and the, you know, it's not just a few children that they, they all have this. Um, so is, this is why it's so important, I think, to teach, to teach meditation and mindfulness. Um, but not all children, not all children, f- uh, connect with it. Yeah. Um, so when I teach, I, I mean, I teach, teachers as well so we do a session on a bit of neuroscience um for teachers because my worst my nightmare really is that you know i'm enforcing mindfulness on people you know sometimes you sit with a group of teachers and you think oh i'm sorry if this you know you this doesn't mean anything to you but i hope you take something that will help you you know to de-stress mm-hmm. uh so i teach a lot a bit of, a lot of science it always goes hand in hand uh with the research that we know there's lots of claims about mindfulness of course that aren't quite quite on the on the mark mm-hmm. um and then we talk about how you can use it in your day. And then I do a second session where we talk about um, how they can bring their practice into their day, and then how they can use mindfulness to relate to children in a different way. Um, it's a little difficult because it's also taking ownership for their their part in it. Um, and I think ninety, I think ninety three percent of teachers are aware that their own stress will affect children in the classroom there's a statistic I can't remember where I've got that from from my head somewhere yeah. uh, but it's it's true it's true <laughs> uh, but yeah so, so taking a bit of ownership and understanding who the part of the child you're talking to And know it's, it's, it's quite a big ask actually for teachers but I just think the awareness of that, that when when a child is, is having a meltdown or having a, a tough one when you're talking to that child you're talking to the kind of monster in them rather than the child you know you're speaking to that monster from a place Um, and I teach this a lot to parents actually, that, uh, you know, when a children, child's having a meltdown, uh, you know, that they're having a tantrum, what a lot of parents do is talk very calmly. It's okay. I can see you're upset. And really what you do is you're leaving that child on their own. You know, you put them up on a, on top of a mountain and going, you're what you're doing is way off off the chart. I'm staying down here. Um, so I always say, try and meet them. And this is from the training that I've done as well. Uh, meet them at where they're at. So if they're up here, you know, shouting, then you, you shout, but you do calm you're doing it calmly. Wow, you're really angry. Oh, you this is too much for you. You know, to a point, and then they oh right here you are. You're with me now, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you can bring them down from there, and then down they come. Uh, not that's always. Really,
0: that's a really nice um, tip there, because I, I, you see parents that struggle with that, don't they? They struggle with with tantrums, um, and. I think when my, my daughter, my, my daughter's seventeen now, so It <laughs> still happens. It still happens, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, like, I'm. I've always been a calm person with her, anyway. So, but I, well, that's I, good I, too. That's good. I naturally, but I do naturally sort of raise my voice and mirror it back. If uh, so, I would raise it. But it, I think the important point there was the language use, wasn't it? So you can have a you can have a loud voice, but your language can be different.
1: Yeah definitely yeah your language is is is, is from a calm place <laughs> or from a helpful place speaking to to a part of the child that's that's kind of having having some difficulty mm-hmm. uh yeah i wish that, you know all te- all parents should be taught all this stuff really you know but um but um so yeah i teach so i teach teach a lot of that and then we talk about then i, I give a set of meditations to the the teachers to play in class because a lot of them don't really want to have to do a guided meditation themselves and then i i don't I think it's a big ask. I expect them to have a meditation practice. I always hope they do, but they do a couple of audio courses with me, um, and then I teach the kids. So I teach the kids all about it, and we work through. We have a few sessions, and and it's a chance to kind of teach the kids what might come up, and you know they sometimes have a meditation, and they feel sad, and we're like, oh, okay, let's talk about that. What's it like when we feel sad when we meditate? Where's it come from? Um, and, and then they kind of go off and they, and they listen to, they have a meditation when they first get in for three or four minutes just to settle in, let go of their morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have one just after lunch if they want to. Um, and they get to the side. That's the most important thing. They, they work with the teacher and they make their own little meditation plan decided on the whole class hopefully they do i have to check the teachers though. <laughs> they've not just gone right you're too noisy listen to this <laughs> um which i'm sure happens but that's fine yeah, it's better than just shouting yeah. uh and then they have one at the end of the day and there's some other nice ones and, and this is kind of forming the basis of the audio course that i'm doing called my peaceful place mm-hmm. which is i'm very excited about which has come about from some school work and some mm-hmm. therapeutic work um, and i really hope the schools and children and families will listen to it um but um so that that's uh so they go away to do that and then I, get, I come back for a booster session just to check they're all still doing it mm-hmm. um but it's um it's it's a fine it's a fine balance to get schools on board because they're so busy teachers have got so much on already um and you don't want it to be an extra thing they have to do i, I really try and make it something that's there for them yeah uh, and it's not you know an extra plan they have to make um, so I try to keep it as light as possible, but um, increase the likelihood that they'll they'll use it every day and they'll, in some capacity and the kids will get to use it. Uh, but I also, I also have a plan B for all the kids that don't want to do it. You know, the kids want to keep their eyes open or just don't want to meditate. It's not for them or there's too much going on inside. Um, so I do a bit of training um, for, for TAs and the teachers who know of particular children who will be triggered, who will need a bit of support. Do keep an eye on i mean it can help them absolutely but that was a really important part that it's inclusive and they have something they can do but also can be involved in any discussion after meditations about what it was like you know maybe not to meditate or um so it's it's um it's and it's an evolving thing as well i'm always updating it you know i do a, a workshop and i think oh that could have been better i could have done this or maybe i need to do more more with the children less with the teachers or less with the teachers more with the children uh so it's it's always a balance um that i'm kind of trying to find
0: (laughs) yeah so he said there's some myths around mindfulness and meditation let's discuss them because um i think that'd be interesting for anybody for my one listener um you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna listen back to this hi john how you doing thanks (laughs) for joining us again um but you know but it's just interesting because there are a lot of myths um and it beca- it's becoming something now that you can see there's a little bit of fatigue about it as well isn't there? which i think is a shame but also it's natural and the commercialization of it and mm. but you know this is this is what life is like it evolves isn't it and there'll be some things that come out of it that are great and there'll be other things that are like oh well that wasn't the idea but <laughs> yeah but it's done now
1: um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tricky one because um you know I almost feel sometimes I have to apologise. Um, there was a time when you go into a school and uh, you do a course, and no one really heard of mindfulness. So you could, you know you talk about it, and, and no one had that fatigue. But I think because it's you know in schools now in education it's been talked about a lot, which is great. It's, it's fantastic. There's an awareness, but then there are all these all these claims that come with it. Uh, mindfulness is everything. It will cure everything. It'll do everything you know if you're if you're depressed it will completely you know help you and cure you uh whatever that means and it's it's um yeah it's it's sold to be uh a, a something that's not well it it can absolutely obviously help all these kind of things but i think it's just it's put kind of really high up and people think expect a lot a lot from it especially when they first start out so yeah. uh, i think you have to be a little bit cautious and then the, the science research there's so much amazing scientific research there but people take a little bit of research and they don't look at you know how detailed the findings were and um, what kind of numbers it was with um and they state it as fact you know and i can't actually think of any absolute solid examples but some of the some of the um the neuroscience i mean we know you know we know that uh meditation can increase the gray matter in your prefrontal cortex that's been done that's been really researched um and then uh, dr Sarah Lazar, who's another um researcher she's found there's a decrease in in the gray matter in our amygdala the, the kind of central uh, alarm yeah. system in our brain and i think that's that's pretty solid uh, evidential research however yeah i don't know how many studies have been done of of that you know is it how widely it's been done but um there's yeah then then there's there's a lot of confusion around the shift in our brain so people say there's a a shift to the right hand side of our brain uh, when we meditate i'm not sure how how solid that is in terms of moving to that side of our brain that's more associated with curiosity uh and well-being and um yeah i'm not too sure about that but um so anything I teach, I try to really get, get to the bottom of it and get to the source of it and find out how much research has been done, how widely. Um, but, um, yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's wonderful. To, I mean, it's been 30 years of research, actually, in meditation, but only recently have they been able to scan people's brains. And uh, and the, the part I'm always interested in, and this is the bit where you're kind of sold a bigger thing than maybe there is, is that a lot of this research is done on people that meditate for hours and hours every day as well? Yeah, and they have shown an eight-week mindfulness course, which is you know you do about maybe thirty minutes an hour a day, uh, has a significant impact, and that's there. But the 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 big kind of the big numbers are from people that re, you know uh, Buddhist monks uh, that meditate. So that's there's this you know there's the kind of uh, so some people talk about it being a, a dose you know if you meditate a little bit. But I, I really like to let go of that as well and not get too, you know, it's, it, again, it's going back into our heads, uh, you know, and I think you know, it's just, I guess in the Western world, it's helpful to have a bit of a stamp of science in some regard. But then I, I always say to people, you know, take this on, listen to it, and then just go and do some meditation. Forget about
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Well, just for me, when I was saying to people, I had a client yesterday um, who, who was saying, I'm struggling with the meditation, doing mindfulness exercises every day. And I said, well, then don't do it. <laughs> he was shocked he was like what do you mean don't know I said, "Well, don't do it then if, if, if you're finding that you can't do it then don't do it go I said mindfulness is just about I said go for a walk in the woods and allow your mind to wander Um, and be present while you're going through the walks and see what's coming up with you. Just notice that you're thinking, notice that you're having an experience, that you're having some emotion going on and try not to push it away or just ask yourself, where's my mind right now? I said, there's no, like you said at the beginning of the chat, there's no kind of big secret to it. There's no big tool or tactic. It really is just about asking yourself that question. What's going on for me right now? Where am I? Where's my mind? Am I in the past? Am I in the future? um what's it preoccupied with um am i thinking oh there's that's that same old story that i keep telling myself how that make me feel and just notice it that's just the first stage you don't have to have this kind of like i've got to sit like this for for five hours
1: a day <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's true it's true yeah. um it's yeah it's, it's um i think that puts a lot of people off you know the the, the routine the daily commitment to meditation um and the 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 time I recommend, you know, is to kind of five or 10 minutes if you're going to do it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you say, it is just how you you relate to the experience, your experience moment to moment. And, um, you know, I you know, the people that I teach, uh, they, they just use it as kind of lying down meditation they, in the morning just to kind of relax and rest. Uh, and if, that, if that's your thing that sets you up with just relaxing your body, gets you up in the morning. That's it. That's your, that's your mindfulness. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And it, um, I've really, uh, you know, kind of last few years, you know, trying to look at ways of taking the effort out of it as well. You know, reading books by Ramana Mah- Maharashi and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've gone back to a lot of those texts and things and just like, oh, why do I keep trying? You know, why are we all trying to do it? Why not we just, you know, and, that um here's the thing about spirituality though it's yeah. um you know whatever you want to call it <laughs> you know you read a book and if you read a book for the first time of course it's all pointers at things because you can't you really get to the you can't really explain a human experience in words anyway let alone an experience of being uh feeling centered and present in presence just aware just uh as aware presence, which is kind of where you, you come to a lot of the time when you yeah. have that peaceful moment, an aware presence of everything, of emotions, body sensations, the outside world. Um, and, you know, it can seem like a bit of a, a little maze, like a labyrinth to work through. Well, you're saying I need to be, but also without effort, but then I need to focus on my breath. But why am I focusing on my breath if I'm, you know, and it can it can feel like a real time twister. And uh, I, I just say to people, just, you know, put all that aside, just... Uh, let go of the effort. And uh, uh, and when you meditate or when you're in life, uh, when you notice you're trying to make effort to do something or be something, or, you know, just like notice that as well as part of your experience. And it's, you know, you can kind of go around in circles teaching yeah. as well sometimes. I kind of think I'm probably quite annoying now because I keep going around the point and they're like, what's the point? What's the point? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, well, that's, that's, you know, that's it, but experience it. Uh, and, you know, you're not, I'm not trying to coerce you into something like, you know, it's not a driving test, you know, you get it right. It's just, um, you know, your experience and people, uh, you naturally fall into it anyway. And, and you can say it, you know, in the guided meditation when I've, I've listened to other people's, you know, you can be kind of listening and listening. And then they say one thing that just fit, fits, it just sits there. It goes a bit deeper and then, okay, you got it. And it's only, you know, it can be one or two words, um, and other times, you know, it could be, especially on insights. I mean, you can read people's reviews of your own meditation. like, Wow. You got that from my uh, meditation. I know. Yeah. I'm a, I I, I, I'm a hidden genius. here. <laughs> I didn't, didn't even know I'd gone that deep, but you know, it's, I'll take it. But, uh, yeah. you know, and, and that's it. It's, it's people, you're guiding people, but they're finding their own experience within that. And whatever they bring, or they come with and however it meets them, will hit their stuff and, and take them to where they need to go a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really think guidance is, is a funny one because it's, you know, you're just giving someone a few little pointers and some space to experience themselves. Yeah.
0: No, that's the thing about you. You said it so well there is that you can't put language around that. that that, And that's the when all teachers and spirituality and books and there's that old kind of saying that, you know, the finger pointing at the moon, stop looking at the finger. and <laughs> just pointing at the moon over there. But, but and I, and I didn't get it either as well for a long time. And it's, it's just eventually you just keep practicing, 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 practicing. And suddenly um, I had a big perception shift uh, sort of a few months ago where I came into that perception shift of like, ah, because you said that like, you get to that point where it's like, this is all one thing, I'm connected. And you sort of find that space now and again, and the, the kind of boundaries with yourself fall away. Um, but then I had that perception shift shift where it just all came, you know, just like, ah, oh, this is actually all one thing. And I felt it in a, in a normal kind of moment. Um, I'd read this passage in the book about it all being meaningless. And I thought, and I was like, oh yeah, it actually it is. It's all meaningless. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> no meaning to it whatsoever. And I'm just putting all this meaning onto it. And then, and then there's this whole perception shift of like, ah, oh, right now I get it. It's like, and there's a difference between sort of knowing it intellectually and, and seeing it from that place. You know what I mean? We come to that place and you go, yeah, it is all one thing. It's all inside of me, whatever this is, whatever I can see is actually all inside of me. It's not outside of me. And yeah, you lose it and you come back to it. You lose it. And you come back to it you can find it and get meditation, but you can't put a language around it. You can't put words around it. And when I'm explaining to people, I'm tr- you're trying to talk to them about the formless, which is the spirit it's, it's formless. There's no form to it. That's why we call it a spirit. That's why it's called the ghost. That's why it's, you know, it's that part of you that you can't actually explain that you've got to sometimes get in contact with to see life in a bigger, bigger way. That it's, that's, it's the container for you. And then if you can drop away your language around it, then you can see that it's a container. And and from that place, you're, you're a bit more peaceful and rested and happy and you can tap back into it. But for me, I think there's a big disconnect in life that people are not, are not realising that, that they have that place they can go to. And I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of language around it that people don't like. You know, you talk about spirituality with people and they go, oh, spirituality. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in that. It's not, well, it's not about that either. It's about mm. just connecting with that bigger part of you that's a little bit timeless and formless and whatever word you want to put around it. Um, but uh,
1: it, Definitely. You can... Um... You know, there's some, some people that just, just they they kind of like what you do. <laughs> yeah. That's great. You teach that. They'll never do it. They never, you know, it's just not in, it's not in there. You know, Um I always say, oh, you probably just need to suffer a little bit more or something. That's a really horrible thing to say, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or just, you've, you've probably had a bit, of, you know, a little bit of plain sailing or something going on. Yeah. But, um you know, it's funny the times you do turn more into, into meditation. You know, yeah. uh, if there's a, a time where I'm very busy on a particular project and meditation's kind of going to the background a bit, you know, and then I think, well, why am I, why am I making such a strain out of doing this when I should be? This is all part of the journey as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's, it's just those lovely moments where you do just feel connected, uh, uh you know, amazing, and you, and then you think, why do I not? Why do I not always feel like this? Yeah. Um, you know, I've even, you know, kept caught myself smiling. I, sat in the, I remember sitting in a room once doing meditation and uh, kind of ate my eyes at the end. I just looked around me and it was, it was kind of a dark, it was a gray, rainy, you know, winter day. Uh, I just found everything amusing. I thought it was all hilarious. I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm just looking at look, this chest of drawers. That's I was like, this is ridiculous. It's really a weird realization. And then it went, so my mind crept in and started analyzing it. Oh, you're laughing at nothing. (laughs) Um, You know, like in Buddhism, they talk about, you know, the the laugh of the big belly Buddha, you know, and I kind of thought of that, you know, it's that time when you just stop taking life so seriously. Um, A bit like a child, you know, just completely present, completely curious. Yeah. Um, And we do, we just attach this serious thing, you know, life is, Life is hard, you know. It, there's no doubt about it. You know, we have bodies, we have pain, we have suffering. We get old, of course. Yeah. We die, yeah. uh, and um, we imprint all this this seriousness. You know, we can still we can still be have a light touch to life, but still help people. Still read the news and hear about you know the hideous stuff. We can take that stuff in. It's all part of our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can regulate how much we look at the news and be interested about why we're looking at the news, of course, but um, and we're not, we can't deny, you know, the, the suffering in the world, but at the same time within our, our world, especially f- for us in, in the Western world, of course, you know, we, we have to, um, I was uh, Henry, Henry Theroux in, in the book Walden talks about, you know, just all we need is food and warmth and shelter, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we've created our lives around, um, all these other things like our status and our importance and having more money than we need really, um, um, but in, you know, Henry's writes about, I think it's the eighteen eighteen hundreds and the, the farmers farming all this land. They're like, why is it, why is he farming so much land uh, when he could just feed, farm a small amount just for his family and he'd have all this other time to do other things, but he, he feels he needs to. And, you know, I think we farm more land than we need. Okay. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> get, get to a roundabout point. I just started reading that book again. So it's, it's kind of in my, in my head. Um, but, yeah, I just think, can we is there a way to enjoy life and and to kind of touch what happens a little bit lighter and go with what happens I mean, um, yeah,
0: yeah, let it unfold a little bit more um, and <clears throat> I think also we have a natural innate ability to to come back to a place of peace and rest in us that the The system, whatever inside of us is is actually self regulating and um, we speed it up with everything, and society speeds it up and that if we just um let go of it a little bit more, we could just come back to a nice place of rest um, and it 's not that difficult and we're probably more naturally resilient and um happy than we realize that and most of it is that we keep pressing the accelerator pedal in our head, don't we? It's like, oh, I need to- <laughs> <laughs> But it, if we just notice that we're thinking that we can just come back to, we can let it go and just come back to a place of rest again.
1: Uh, Definitely. Um, I teach a, uh, I teach a drop-in class, a meditation class. Mm-hmm. I've just started it up recently. And uh, it's interesting, you know, I've got um all these plays on inside Timer and whatnot, and followers and stuff, and uh, it's actually quite hard to get a meditation group going. You know, get enough people. Tell me about it. I had I had here in Brussels, and <laughs> yeah, I had one the other week. Well, it was quite nice, just two of us. I thought this is really funny. You know, you've got all this like people all over the world, and it it kind of like disconnect a little bit between the online world and you know your yeah. your community. And I'm trying to do more in my community, but I did talk about that. You know, the amount of energy we we spend trying to make things be our way Mm. uh but actually our bodies are doing it all for us they're doing everything you know there's more intelligence in our body than we could possibly you know put to a project or to an idea um and you know, I just said, look, just let your bodies get on with it. They're doing your body's doing a great job. Just you know, leave it alone. You know, yeah. uh, but obviously not always easy. When things happen no. that we don't like. Um,
0: I came across the, the three principles by Sid Banks um, in another podcast that hasn't, um, you know, a couple of guests ago. Um, have you heard? Of, have you read him?
1: I've not. I've not actually. No. So yeah,
0: no. It's, I'm, I'm converted already to his yeah. way of thinking about it. Um, and I, it's one. It was interesting because it was a therapist that I was talking to um, on it uh, as well, and he said that you know when he came across it, he was like, "Oh crap! I can't, I can't do, I can't, I can't not do this anymore. You know, I have to do it this way." <laughs> Makes so much sense. So um, he talks about um, basically that innate ability for us that the body just knows what it needs to do, and we, our mind knows what it needs to do, and we just need to let go of it a lot more and allow it to do it. But, um, and and uh, we're struggling with it so much. So, his three principles are uh, the principle of mind, so universal mind, uh, universal consciousness, and universal thought. And so universal mind is this, you know, whatever this innate thing is behind us, this innate intelligence, this life force that we have that that moves through us, that animates us. You
1: know?
0: And if you want to call it God, you can call it God. If you want to call it the force, you can call it the force. If you want to call it life, you can call it life, whatever you need to call it, you know, whatever wrapper you want to put around it. But there is something that, that animates us and pushes us through. And, you know, and even if you're a complete atheist, you can also agree that, yeah, there is something that, that is making it all work um, and we don't have to put so much around it. So that's like universal mind. <clears throat> and I think in Buddhism, it's big mind, little mind, isn't it? So
1: Yeah, yeah. Gross mind.
0: Uh, yeah. And then there's the power of consciousness, which is your ability to be aware.
1: Yeah.
0: And then the power of thought, your, your ability to create thought. And those are our gifts. Those are the three principles that every human being has. Uh, mind, consciousness, thought. And then from that we create our experience. So we're all having an inside out experience. We're all living at life from a from the viewpoint of our thoughts rather than The the circumstances. So it's not the circumstances that are causing me to have a reaction to something. It's my thought about the circumstances that is causing me to have a reaction to something. It's not the traffic that causes me to be frustrated. It's the thought about traffic that causes me to be frustrated. And you just realize that these are the three principles. There's no, there's nothing other than that. Just realize that. Realize that I'm creating my internal experience. And when you realize that, you can come to, to it, drop it, and then you can listen to the bigger mind. You can allow the whatever it is life like you say your body knows what it needs to do and it will need, it knows what it needs to do and um, and I, th- I thought actually that's quite a powerful way of uh, model of putting it um, down
1: that's great yeah, yeah. it's uh, it kind of it kind of sits with the michael singer kind of way of yeah. things as well does not it the kind of uh, it's not personal you know whatever's happening here you know is as relevant to you as what's happening over on the other side of the world it's just because it's in front of you you take it personally.
0: Yeah, it's just impersonal. Uh, that Sid Banks talks about as well, the personal and the impersonal. It's not personal. Nothing's personal. I know my, my father died when I was nine, and that was, you know, I built a whole story about that, and why did this happen to me? yada yada yada, But it wasn't personal. You know, it wasn't... It's just, it just happened. This is when you come to that shift and realise, well, I just put a load of meaning around it. It was just an event. Yeah. And, yeah, it was a terrible event. It was a terrible circumstance, but it's my thinking about the event that causes me to have the problems, not the, not the event itself. I've created the story internally myself. So, you know, if I can let that story go, then I come back automatically to a place of more calmness.
1: That's it. And yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, uh, you know, an event like that, obviously it's, you know, you internalize it. It's huge. And that's all natural. You know, the sadness, the suffering, the, you know, the feeling, all the feelings that come with it. Um, but yeah it's over time you know the the story and then our our thoughts about it and um you know things things pass through we're, we're supposed to kind of you know feel grief and and loss and all those things are all natural um but past that you know it's it's kind of it moves through you it it's becomes part of who you are, and then the next then there's the next thing you know then
0: there's the next moment, and another thought will come up and. <laughs> You know, I'm having another experience, so there's no point in, in sort of trying to hold on to the last one. It's just like, well, let's see what the next one is. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not saying I don't have to act on thoughts. I can act on the thoughts I want to act on, um, but I act on the ones that are going to take me in a direction that I want to go rather than acting on the ones that I know are just going to keep me stuck or take me down a route I don't want to go because you never know what thought you're going to have in that moment when something happens. do you? I mean, we- That's
1: it. That's it. Um- and it's it's a really important, particularly uh, now, you know, there's so many people have um, a real lack of self-acceptance or they have a lot of self-doubt, you know, even the most kind of uh, creative and most kind of, uh, you know, amazing people. They talk about how they've had doubt in what they're doing and um, and that kind of, you know, that, that stops people from taking risks and blocking what they do. You know, if I am, you know, writing a, a, a course for children, you know, there's, self-doubt kind of as part of that you know is this is this the right meditation will this work will this work um, but if i listen to all of it you know i just sit down and stare at a computer screen <laughs> yeah. you know, and just go none of it but then if you let the creative trust in yourself let the creativity move let the thoughts happen question what you're doing which is healthy you know make it better um but you know that kind of thing about writer's block or um people feeling that they can't move forward in their lives is, is generally because they have too many self-doubt thoughts that are stopping them from uh, just going with going with something and, and actually feeling it's all right to run a risk and it's all right to fail as well. It's all right for it to be, you know, create something that's, you know, just isn't, isn't great, but it's you've, you've expressed yourself in a way yeah. and you've, it's out there and you've learned from it and you, you move on to the next thing. But, yeah. um,
0: have you seen some of the creators on YouTube? Um, you know, what's his name? Is it P P? Pee Pi Dwight, or well, the Swedish guy, Pee Wee Drew or something like that. <laughs> so he's like one of the biggest, like the top three. And he does and I watched a video of him the other day with these pig headsets on and him in a in a um uh, in his living room, climbing over the sofa and he actually said it there, he says like the thing is that you know not worrying about the quality in your videos means that you can do it anywhere. So I could do this video in a bunker, nobody would care. Yeah. You know, I quite like we have, that. We have all these thoughts about, about it, you know, that that um, that you know all those self doubt thoughts, and it, and he's just, I think if you even if you don't like the way he does videos and you find it very, um, you know, it's like oh what's the point of this? He's just doing, he's talking about memes and things like that. But it's like he's still going out there and creating. He's still got over that fear, and he's getting millions of views. And um, if anything, you can take from that example is that well, I can do it. You know, yeah. why do I do it and that, and that's we're living in a time now where we have so much opportunity and abundance and, and you can just go out there and create something, create it. You know, why not? Um, because the people who don't like it will be the people who will never will never like it. So I know it can be you get harsh criticism sometimes from people,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: it, you know, you'll get a, a disparaging comment, but it's not about it really never is about you. It's about their thoughts that they're having in that moment. And the way and then they express them. Um, I think that's always the biggest fear is, you know, for me, it was for a long fear, like doing things like this, like doing the podcast or doing the meditations at the inside time. Where I was just like, what if I don't get a good rating? Or what if somebody gives me a dislike?
1: <laughs> yeah. oh, We are constantly uh, you know, being judged and uh, and you know, familiarity, familiarity helps a lot. You know, things like this, you know, an interview, I think I did one of the first kind of, uh skypey type interview a few years ago and i remember being really nervous about it thinking oh you know this is huge yeah <laughs> i've got to talk and you know i've got to start talking about all the things i've you know, i've been doing um and then you do a few familiar and your brain your your mind comes to rest because you've you've got that kind of understanding mm-hmm. um and then you you kind of trust okay well whatever comes out is going to come out uh whatever you know but um it's it's when it stops you know that first step you know that the the, the thought of you know a few years ago the thought of me running a, a class was you know terrifying I, I was in my head i was never the i was always the quiet one in the group you know if i was in a in a, in a course or something i wouldn't put my hand up same at school uh, and if you hold that narrative close to your heart <laughs> then that'll be it you think well, no i can't i don't i can't do that i can run a group I'm, I'm not organized enough and then you try it and you know it's a bit scary um but you know, with if if your if your heart's in it and you really want to do it and you know, you plan enough and you go ahead and you do it and it's it's there. I mean my first my first mindfulness classes i think were pretty terrible (laughs) sorry to anyone that did one they didn't flow at all it's like right now we're gonna do some mindful eating how was that okay Anyway, almost like can i just get my manual out again i'll have to ask you something you know uh they didn't flow i mean the content was all there but the the flow wasn't in the kind of i didn't i kept i was quite rigid i guess to what i was teaching you must learn this today uh and then fast forward you know i've kind of swapped things in and out and all sorts of things but um you know it's funny how you you know you, you get used to it you know we get used to things and why there's, there's nothing's changed other than you've done something once before and your yeah. your mind changes you're still the same person that was doing it the first time mm-hmm.
0: uh, now i had the same experience with coaching when i first my first kind of like paying client um and i look back now and i'm like wow i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> that person's still in Brussels where I live, and 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 knows my partner. So when they talk, they say, "Oh, how's Gary? You know, I'm really, I've got a lot of the coaching. It's really helped me." And I'm like, really? Because when I remember back then, I was.
1: I was... <laughs> oh, they got they got what they needed from it. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure it was great.
0: Yeah, they, they got what they needed from it. And at the point, people came to your class and they got what they needed from it. Uh, let's um, um segue back to the rock star in this, because there was a point there that, that the thought came up and you said, you know, are <laughs> really nervous about doing a mindfulness class, but what's the largest crowd that you ever played to? then?
1: Uh, I think it's probably, there was one in Japan, uh, Summer Sonic Festival, which was pretty huge, but I think... We, I think Wembley Arena was I think it was about 75,000 wow that was the because we did a lot of we did Glastonbury and a few festivals so I don't know if, if we got there but yeah it was a lot um, and so
0: why why was that okay and not a mindfulness <laughs> class with six people or ten people or whatever it was
1: I think it's probably because I've got a fortress in front of me a fortress of drums protecting oh yeah <laughs> uh, and I you know the drums yeah. the drums is completely <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the drums I, I, the drums are just home for me they always have been and um, you know I, of course I got fear you know anxiety mainly I want to play really well you know I want to be able to fit this little I want to feel this fit this drum fill into this song today yeah um, and but yeah there, there's always nerves and there's always you know when you walk up and no matter what whether you're playing a small pub or you're playing a big venue um, but the difference yeah the difference was I think there's rehearsal, you know, you've rehearsed these songs so many times. Mm-hmm. It's all, it's all for, for me anyway, not, not for the singer who kind of made it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all there. It's all ready to go. You know, yeah. as long as you don't throw your sticks, you know, I was a few times I threw sticks or broke sticks and you have to yeah. grab another one. Yeah. Um, but it's all there. Whereas as a uh, teaching a class is you're, you're dealing with something live, you know, people, they come with different things. Mm-hmm. You go as a group, you know, um, uh, and it's, um, the beginning particularly you're uh yeah you're working you're working very closely with people it's very intimate mm-hmm. um, and it can be with music as well but um like i said i've got a fortress so it's okay it's right yeah. around me
0: we have i don't even you heard of rock verter have you here in brussels in belgium it's like the glasenbury of belgium it's really nice um
1: oh i think i might have played that actually wow that, that's <laughs> that tells you yeah i think we did we definitely played we did born belgium and i think it yeah, yeah it that rings a bell bad,
0: yeah. Yeah, so it's meant to have the best best stage ever. for A lot of artists talk about it being a really great um, uh, backstage, sorry, um, uh, and the hospitality environment. And there's, you know, normally on, on the Saturday, you normally have eighty ninety thousand 90,000 people there. Um, and so you have that experience, of, like talking about being in the moment of things, like you can be in the moment. And I normally, this is a point I sort of say to people, you never try to be in the moment. You just normally find yourself in it. Yeah. And it's when you find yourself in it that you have to notice it
1: yeah and then you're it's not lost. there anymore <laughs> you're not there anymore
0: but, but getting lost in a crowd is sometimes when you're in the moment we're actually in the in the crowd itself and we were in the crowd and i think it was listening to um the arctic monkeys oh yeah you do a great show don't they they
1: do yeah yeah uh, and
0: and i just thought it must be what's it like to be on the other side because in the crowd you're feeling the whole crowd and it's it's like this energy transfer between you and the band And, you know, I can feel everybody else around me and you're just lost in that moment. You can feel the emotion it's all happiness, all sort of joy. Um, and this is the thing that, that, this this is the thing that transcends human experience, isn't it? That you can't put science around. Is yeah. you can't measure whatever this thing is going on between us and human beings in that moment in the crowd. There's something that that we're connected, and I can't measure it. I can't see it. I can't touch it, taste it, or feel it. But it's transcending who I am in that moment. And I keep thinking, well, what's it like on stage on the other side? <laughs> You've got that many people feeding it back to you as well.
1: Yeah, um, it's the time. The times when it really gelled when when you had the right crowd and. Um, there was always festivals. Actually, there was one a Stuttgart, one in uh, Germany. Um, there was a huge marquee, like massive, great big thing, and they absolutely loved it. And that made such a difference because um, often when you tour, you know, people people still like to stand there. You know, <laughs> you do, you don't unless you're a huge band or you're well known and everything. You know, uh, but the times when that happened, it was uh, utterly energising, and um, you know, you 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 were completely in the moment. There were gigs. I have to admit, I was probably thinking about where we can go for some food afterwards and uh you know because you were so well rehearsed yeah and just yeah. thinking oh, how many songs left um but i you know the i have to say i've put my hand up now and say i'm a bit of a u2 geek massive u2 fan yeah. always have been i've seen him about five times in stadiums and things and uh nice. i saw the joshua tree uh reunion tour at wembley mm-hmm. uh that was absolutely that's a spiritual experience for me that was just unbelievable hearing those songs uh, and there's something about that uh, you, you know it's a religious event almost you know there's all these people here for one band they love that band mm-hmm. and the the music just takes you into a place of absolute presence you're you know the world outside disappears and you're there and you know through your ears you know through your senses you're there um, but also with the the crowd and the connection um and it's yeah you can't explain that experience um but it's there isn't it in in kind of mindfulness practice as well you can access it you know, any day you want, really. But, um, but I actually prefer being in the crowd. Yeah. On stage was, you know, you're performing, which is a funny one. I don't like I rather be in the crowd, performing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't. Uh, I would never say that that wasn't an exhilarating experience to be up. You know, especially. I think the best thing about Wembley actually is the sound system on stage is so incredible mm-hmm. you feel very it feels very intimate you you have a, such a very close monitor system going into music territory here but it's yeah. uh it's it's absolutely crystal clear and you know you play a lot in a lot more of a um reserved and more calmer manner than you would in a small venue which is you're kind of struggling to get the sound Mm -hmm. I found it was a very, I probably played the slowest I've played actually (laughs) because it was, it was all there. So that's interesting. You know, when, when there's clarity Mm -hmm. uh, in sound and clarity in our minds and things, we can, we, naturally fall back a little bit and, and just kind of sit on the music
0: there you go there's a wonderful metaphor for life right i did there. that yeah i dropped it in. <laughs> you just dropped it in there it's like you know actually <laughs> mindfulness and you know it's wonderful when we when we, we slow down there's clarity we've got this wonderful feedback system because that's what you're talking about the feedback system yeah
1: yeah our, our yeah, senses our sensory systems
0: and, and we're in the moment we get this feedback moment with clarity, and then we can just drop back into the music for life There
1: we that's go. that's it that's that's, that's it. That's the meaning of this whole podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Drop into life. Parachute in.
0: Yeah. Drop into the music of life. And, and, uh, that's where your spirit will be. Good. Well, let's leave it there then because, um, we've been talking for over an hour and, uh, it's been really, really great to talk to you, Andy. It's been, it's been a lovely conversation.
1: And it's been a pleasure. Yeah, no, It's lovely to hear like, all your experiences as well. <laughs> You've trod s- similar paths in some ways. I think everyone does in some way.
0: I think we do, yeah. There's, there's kind of like, yeah, we, I won't start another conversation about it, but generally, yeah, the same sort of path. Finding, Trying to find something, going down certain routes, looking for seeking something, and then coming to a point of like, oh, well, I don't need to seek anymore. I found it because it was all actually inside of me. But again, that kind of, you know, again, that ironic thing that everybody says. And suddenly when you get there, you realize it. it's like, Oh yeah, now I understand now it's, it's all inside of me. I didn't have to find it. It was always here and I've gone outside and looked for it, but actually it's here. And, you know, I can sit with the music of life. So thank you very much for, for chatting. Um, thank um, you. I'll put some, where can people find you on social medias?
1: I'm on, I'm on Twitter. It's just as Andy Hobson. Uh, I own Facebook, but I'm absolutely terrible at updating that. Um, and I've got a website which is www.andyhobsonmeditation.com, so you can find out a bit more about what I do. I've got a little shop there, sell a few guided meditations and courses too.
0: Excellent, and I'll put the Insight Timer link on as well to
1: you for. Profile. Definitely, Insight Timer. Yeah, it's a great place. That's a great, great place. Big up, Insight Timer. Thanks. Um, and Thanks very much. Thanks, Gary. Take good. care. Um, and you. Bye. Can-
0: So uh, that's it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Um, If you've got any feedback for me, uh, good or bad, um, anything you'd like to see in future episodes, anybody you think I should be talking to, um, please just drop me a mail at uh, Gary Bridgman, sorry, at uh, GB. At GaryBridgman.me, that's GB at GaryBridgman.me. Uh, uh, other than that, again, a big thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, if you would be so kind as to share it on your social media platforms, that just gets the the message out there, that just gets the podcast out there, and helps other people maybe uh, learn something from other people's experiences of life. Uh, as we talk about life transformation, as we talk about overcoming challenges, uh, and really just uh, living life. The way that you're meant to live life uh, with a lot of love, fun, and passion for it. So, until the next podcast, thank you again for listening, and I hope to see you soon. Bye bye.